0: Well, we're going to have a pretty simple scripture this morning. It's in John thirteen thirty three through 34. But we're starting a new series this month called Branded. Now, when I grew up, uh, branded meant something different. It's what we did to cattle and livestock and <laughs> And uh, when I used to watch movies, branded always had a negative connotation. Somebody was branded a traitor. Somebody was branded a pirate. And in those days, they really would brand them. They would mark their skin with hot iron. And and yet today, that word has really changed, and now it's like this ultra-important thing. And... and um, even though I'm I'm not super old, I at times feel old because I get sick of all this stuff and all the gimmicks where they think, Oh, does your church need new branding? Does your church I'm thinking, the church is what happens on the inside. If you're attracted by all the signs and what color we paint the building, then maybe you're not up for this thing we call Christianity. Because it's all about what's happening in the people, not inside the building. And so, all this branding and all this stuff, but I also want you to understand that something that's changed in, just in my lifetime, and for those of you older than me, I don't know how you put up with us, because um, what, what used to be a pretty solid term, Christian, has changed. And, and what does that mean? And what doesn't it mean? <laughs> And so I want to talk a little bit about maybe we need a rebranding, and uh, not that we're not going to call ourselves Christians, but we've got to think past all of these terms and all these buzzwords and all these gimmicks that's going on in the world, and let's get back to what Jesus Christ actually expected from us. So I need a little participation this morning. I'm going to show you some brand names, and if you would, just call them out. See, I I believe that you'll know them so well just by their logo, and when you see their logo, you'll know what you think about what that means. So let's let's do this first one. Everybody will, will be able to get these. So here we go. First one. Nike and Under Armour, right? These guys make great pizza, right? Now, what would you say if I said, I wear Under Armour, just do it? You know that Under Armour's logo is not just do it, right? These each, by just that symbol, you seem to know what they mean. All right, next one. Chevy and Mercedes, right? Pretty polar opposites in some people's minds. Right? Now, when you think about Chevy, do you think expensive, German, luxury? Right? When you think about Mercedes, do you think about off road, big tires, <laughs> truck bed full of gravel? See, isn't it amazing what comes to your mind when you see this thing? Next one. Okay. For those of you over 60, this is Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> if you don't know what those are, don't even start because it'll be very frustrating for you and your life will actually be better without it for your remaining years. Uh, If you're under 30, you don't need to start this either. Your life will be better without it. It, um... All right, next one. Had to give a nod to my wife on this one right here. She loves Apple. Now, Apple is so funny to me because it's its own culture, right? Right? What's funny is it's a laptop, but it's not any old laptop. It's definitely not a, a Windows laptop. And the people that buy these are very different than the people that buy a Windows-based uh, product. And, and they want you to know that, right? And they want to live like that. Funny thing. The abomination uh, of the other symbol there, uh, Pinterest. Pinterest. The bane of most men's existence in this world, uh, online home decor products and projects and all of those things. not amazing that we used to have to, like, think these things up? Now, unfortunately, they get bombarded with a thousand different ideas that they hadn't even thought of yet, um, all online, okay? Next one. Okay, like five of you were really excited about that. (laughs) But you tell me, what does this even mean anymore? Conflict of Christians on both sides. Wars happen with Christians on both sides. Legislative parties with Christians on both sides people that live not living on any biblical value at all and call themselves Christian, people that spout hate and fear and ultra-judgment, Christians, people that have no judgment, ultra-grace, everything's okay, it doesn't matter what you do, Christian. People killed in the name of Christ. People judged in the name of Christ. And so, since we don't have a a real definition, that's what makes this kind of a a hard word, is that Christianity can almost mean whatever you want it to mean. And as I was thinking through this, I I hear, uh, uh, especially on podcasts, and sometimes on interviews, or through reading, and a phrase keeps popping up over these past several months that I've been seeing, And, and I don't know if you see this, or maybe you've met somebody that says this, but this is, this is the place in the world we've come to where somebody will say, well, my Jesus doesn't believe or my Jesus or my God. And, and I just want to tell you this morning, standing flat-footed, there is no my Jesus or your Jesus. There's just Jesus. He's the Jesus of the Bible. He is the Word. And even Paul talks about this in the church at Corinth. He, he sends a letter to them, his second letter, and in chapter 11, he says something like this. What is wrong with you guys that you happily put up with the, whatever somebody teaches, even if it's a different Jesus than what we preached?" Think about that. That's what he's saying back in those days. You guys are, are believing and following a different Jesus than the Jesus. But I'm telling you here this morning, there's only the one Jesus Savior. And it, it's not about the name, it's about who He is. There are people out there named Jesus and Jesus and, and Yeshua and all of that. I'm not saying it's a specific name because it's not a specific name. But Jesus the Savior, those of us that follow Jesus, there's still only one Jesus. And there's not a my Jesus and a your Jesus and a their Jesus and a somebody else's Jesus. There's just Jesus. And we've got to wrap our heads around this and ask ourselves, am I going to be under the brand... Of what Jesus says and what Jesus is, or is I not? You know what I'm saying you're either apple or you ain't. <laughs> right? You're either on Facebook or you're not. You're either a Christian or you're not. And and I know maybe that sounds judgmental. And I want you to know this morning that. I'm not coming to try to divide anybody, and I'm not coming to try to judge anybody. I'm actually coming to ask us to come together in unity to agree that the Word of God is what we should follow and how we should live, okay? I'm not going to put anybody down. I'm not going to poke any fingers, but I am going to say we need to get back to the basics of what Christian meant, and what's hard about that is this. The word Christian is only used three times in the Bible. And it was never used by the people on the inside that believed. It was a derogatory term from people on the outside that didn't follow Jesus that they would say something like, you're not going to make me one of those Christians. I'm not going to be a Christian. And what makes it really scary for us today, and for those of you especially, maybe you didn't grow up knowing the Bible or understanding the Bible, or maybe you quote, grew up Christian, but you're not really sure what that meant, hopefully I can clear that up this morning. And the great part is, is that the door is still wide open for you to make a decision. And it doesn't mean that you have to have it all figured out. And it doesn't mean you have to believe everything I believe, because there there are places where Paul specifically says that we need to follow our conscience on areas where it's not stated in the Bible but the places that are clearly defined in the Bible, we need to make an agreement that that's what Jesus said, that's what Jesus meant, and if I'm going to follow Him, then I need to line up with that. And I remember a time, it was the early 90s, and Melissa and I took a group down to uh, Brownsville to a revival that was happening down there, and this incredible testimony came out. It really spoke to the kids that we took down there. This kid was part of a youth group, and... And at that time, incredible things were happening at that church, and and for a little time, it was cool to be a Christian because it was exciting and fresh and powerful things were happening. And this kid that was kind of the misfit in that youth group, not in our youth group, but one that was down there was giving this testimony. He noticed that there was some people that were from his youth group, and one of them was kind of the football player, athletic guy, and he was wearing the youth group uh, logo t-shirt from their youth group and as the kid was walking by I heard this guy using horrible language and, and telling a pretty bad joke and I don't mean bad like it wasn't funny but like it shouldn't have been said and this little dude that could have easily been just kind of stuffed in the locker by this other kid stepped up to him and he said hey, I just want to ask two things Either, either don't talk like that or don't wear that shirt. Now, what if that was our standard for today? Hey, either don't live like that, or don't call yourself Christian. And I, again, like I said, I'm not trying to judge this morning. What, how you believe, I can't change that. But what I can do is point you to what God's word clearly says this morning. They, they used a word throughout the New Testament that was so specific and so precise, and it's what's so scary that that's why we don't use this term today, and the term was disciple, which meant a follower, an adherent, a student of Jesus. All of the outside people are the ones that use Christian because you're following that guy? But nobody on the inside, even Jesus didn't call them Christians. He called them disciples. He called them followers. They're following my pattern. And I've used this example before. You go down to the local karate dojo down here, and you talk to the guy, and you keep saying, hey, I want to learn this. And he says, that's not karate, that's kung fu. Yeah, but it's the same thing. No, it's not. And if you want to learn Kung Fu, you need to go over to the Kung Fu teacher. No, I want you to, t- I don't teach Kung Fu. And for those of you who don't follow martial arts, even easier, somebody, you can get an amen in this one. You keep going to McDonald's, ordering a Whopper. <laughs> Do you think they're ever going to make you a Whopper? you don't go to McDonald's for the Whopper. They have their subset. This is what you expect from this menu. This is what we should expect from those that follow Christ. Now, is there grace? Loads of it, because we're not perfect yet, right? But as we learn and find out what's expected of us, then the question comes, am I going to bring my life into alignment with it? Or am I going to hang out there and do what I want and still say, yeah, me and Jesus, we're like this. And your lifestyle is completely the opposite. That's the hard part. And that's why I would say, hey, make your mind up. Either follow him or don't follow him. And in the words of Mr. Miyagi from Karate Kid, either you, Jesus, yes, or you, Jesus, no. You, Jesus, think so? Quick! Okay? <laughs> okay. Make up your mind this morning, okay? You don't have to call yourself Christian, but you're not helping the kingdom and you're not helping the rest of us when you live a lifestyle that's way out in left field, completely separate from the Bible, and you call yourself Christian because the world doesn't understand that you aren't following them. Then they go, yeah, I ain't gonna be one of those. And with all this happened in the world just in the last two days with the shootings in El Paso, And this morning in Dayton, anytime the church doesn't lead with love, we step back. We hurt our position. When we try to force it, when we try to judge, when we try to hate, when we try to condemn, we only hurt our position because that is not what our faith is based on. And we have to be people that lead with love, but sometimes love is just telling the truth over and over and over and over again, hoping... That somebody hears it and agrees. And so I'm trying to tell you love this morning. I'm truly not trying to poke anybody in the eye because some would say that they are Christians now. Some would say it's all about what you believe. Others would say it's all about how you behave. Some would say they used to be Christians and that would be followed up by people that would immediately step up and say, oh no, once you're a Christian, you're a Christian because once saved... And there would be others that would also say they dislike anything associated with that name. Can Christian mean anything and everything we want it to mean? And if so, then doesn't it kind of lose its meaning? Because here's what a whole bunch of the world thinks of a definition of Christian. A judgmental, homophobic moralistic, greedy person who thinks they're the only one going to heaven and who secretly relishes the fact that everyone else is going to hell. And you tell me this morning, is that who you are? I don't believe it is. But more and more, this is what we're hearing. More and more, this is what the media portrays, that we are homophobic, judgmental, moralistic, greedy people that we just sit back and laugh, oh, yeah, you'll be in hell and pretty soon it's going to be great. But if you truly are a Christian, you would never want anybody to go to hell because you have a firm understanding of what that means. And you would do your level best to make sure that nobody goes there that you know. And the Apostle Paul did this in an incredible way. If you ever read... You can read the First Corinthians, I think it's chapter 9, where he says something crazy that in the world today you'd be maybe labeled a liberal, even in the church world, where he says this, you know what? You don't know how I win? This is where he says, I want to win as many as I can. And to the Greeks, I become a Greek. I talk to them because they don't understand the law. They don't understand what the Jews do. And so I talk to them in ways that they understand. Think about that. When we talk to the world, do we talk to them like they know Scripture? Do we talk to them like they should have the same morals as us? Do we talk to them and assume from them that they have the same lifestyle as us? Many times, that's what I hear from Christians. Instead of understanding, you've got to learn how to be a Greek. And when I talk to the Jews, I talk like a Jew. It's amazing how he did that process. And he said, not because I can't make up my mind, but because I am compelled to win as many as I can. And that's our job too. I believe that what that thing doesn't symbolize, that definition doesn't symbolize, is maybe we need that better name. Maybe we've got to break it down and start asking ourselves, am I a follower? Am I a disciple? Am Am I doing this Right. How, how about this one? That again, the New Testament, and the, even the one that Jesus used. But like I said, this this makes it very scary because it's very specific and it doesn't allow you to wiggle. And just like I shared last week with people that once had faith and now are saying, "Oh, I was completely wrong." You are allowed and encouraged to determine your faith based on God's word, and you shouldn't have to back up from that. Now, should we spout hate and fear and judgment? Absolutely not. Like I said, we need to leverage love at every twist and turn. But these days of saying, well, this is what I believe, and then somebody says, I can't believe you really believe that. Well, I don't really believe that, but that's what the Bible says. We need to be able to firm up our faith. So what is a disciple? That's a great question. I started that out for you. It simply means a learner, a pupil, an apprentice, an adherent, or a follower. Okay? And a disciple specifically looks to a certain other person as the authority and example for what? Everything. This is, like I said, this is why this word is scary. This is why we don't want to be called this. This is why we're not sure we truly want to be all in, is that if Jesus is our authority, then he's the authority of all of our lives, not just our Sunday lives, but every part of our life. And again, we learn as we go along because we don't have it all figured out. That's where grace kicks in, and that's why we need the community of believers around us to say, hey, I noticed that you are killing people. Did you know that the Bible says you shouldn't do that? Oh, okay. A disciple always answers yes to whatever the person that they follow asks. Ever notice that? Because that's how Jesus found out who his disciples really were, right? He'd be walking along and pretty soon he's got a couple, then he's got 12, then he's got 150, and then it says huge crowds follow Jesus. Then he stops one day and he says... Did you know that it's hard for a rich man to get into heaven? Murmur, murmur, murmur. What? 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 What is he? Yes, in fact, it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into heaven. Not somebody that has lots of money, but somebody that values money above everything. And then this crazy scripture comes out that says something like this, and many turned away from following him that day. And that's what happens. And again, the great part is that you can keep coming back. We can turn away, we may stop, and I've stopped at times, not following, but saying, whoa, i got to wrap my head around this. But if you stop and don't keep following, are you still a follower of Jesus? That's a good question. And so the answer has to be yes. If he says, this is the way you say, yep, If he says, this is how you do your money, you say, yep. If he says, this is how you do your marriage, then you say, yep. This is how you raise your kids, yep. This is how you live your life, yep. This is how you're supposed to work, yep. This is how you're supposed to behave, yep. This is how you're supposed to... Because the stuff that he talks about is real-life application, the stuff that the church used to spout about dress code and all these ultra-moralistic stuff. Again, God has morals, but it's based on love and community much more than whether you're meeting the dress code or not. or whether you have ink on your skin or not, or whether you've got earrings or not, or none of that is important to God. You know what's important to God? What does your heart say about Him and how you're following Him? And it's got to start lining up with His Word. That means that as He begins to, to bring us farther and farther along and confront us with areas of our life that aren't lined up with Him, we have to determine, am I going to say yes? Where am I going to say no? And the beauty is, if you say no, he doesn't kill you on the spot. And if you, after a time, say, you know, I see the, I see the rationale behind this. I, I think that does make sense. He gives you the time to come back and say, I say yes. Great, glad to have you as part of the, part of the family. But if none of that matters, then. Then you get the opposite, where you could say, you know, I'm a murderer and a thief and a rapist and an embezzler and a cheat and a liar, but I've always had Jesus in my heart. And I would say, yeah, he may be in your heart, but unfortunately, that's where it stopped. See, that Christian was a derogatory word used by those on the outside and it was, it was never a compliment and it wasn't even, didn't even come into play until the book of Acts. And, and I want to show you this. So Paul is in, in chains and he's talking to a king at the time. And this is found in Acts 26, verse 28. And he uses this term and again, when we read it, if you don't know the background, you think, oh, good, he's starting to get a hold of it. But you got to understand the tone here. Agrippa says to Paul, after telling him this long discourse on what it means to be a follower, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. But he never said he was going to be a disciple. You almost persuaded me. I heard what you said. Boy, that sounded pretty good. But you almost persuaded me. And I don't know about you this morning, but are you almost persuadingly following him? The disciples never used that word. They never called themselves that, only the outsiders. But what if we decided yes was the answer we were going to give to God and to the rest of the world? Is this really what you believe? Yes. Is that really how you live your life? Yes. Do you believe Jesus really said? Yes. See, then I believed that we would find the power and the spirituality that the world really could take note of instead of the wishy-washy, back-and-forth, fumbling, mumbling, excuse-making Christianity that we see so prevalent today where anything goes. And there's almost this nothing is good (laughs) and everything is good. But there's truth in the fact that there's grace, but there's also judgment. There's also giving account of in our life. And there's also just the outward rebellion where you say, I know I'm supposed to do that, but I ain't ever going to do it. And we have to ask ourselves why? If God says that's how we should do it, why the rebellion? Now, you may not call it rebellion. You call it choice or a decision or a preference. Or, a, Like I said, there's some gray areas. And you've got to figure that out. But the places where it's very clear and you're living the opposite, we have to ask ourselves, why am I living contrary to the word if I say I'm following this? Because we believe me, we may think, oh, that's just the way the world is. Most of us, there may be probably nobody here this morning, but most of us don't live that way in the real world. Are you really married to that woman? Well, no. Well, isn't that a ring on your finger? Well, it's just a symbol. And did you actually say vows to her? Well, yeah, but... And do you really go home to her every night and only her? Well, you know, it's most of the time so you don't you really don't have sex with any other woman it sounds kind of exclusive sounds kind of narrow minded judgmental moralistic and wonderful and eternal and grace-giving and life-giving and appealing. Now, if your wife heard you say that, yeah, most of the time, hey, I don't know if you'd have the guts to go home. What do you think her relationship her feeling about your relationship would be now? Or husband, if you heard your wife say that, what do you think your relationship would be like now? We don't live that way. but When it comes to faith, somehow we've taken the safeties off and anything goes. I don't believe that's what God wants for us. But what if we actually begin to live the way he said And and think about what he told his disciples. So he's getting ready to leave the planet, right? He's going to be crucified. He's going to die. He's going to go away. And he's making sure that his followers, his disciples, okay? And don't freak out. We're not going to all of a sudden start calling each other disciples or followers. Hey, follower, that's just weird. But what I do want us to do is actually ask ourselves, does Christian mean what I think it means? (laughs) But what if we leveraged what God said was the most important thing to him? Because you can read a lot of the scripture, and it keeps coming up again and again and again. That's why we're going to find ourselves in John chapter 13 here. You see, I believe Jesus didn't want there to be confusion about what a disciple did. So he actually gave the bottom line, right? He knew that he was going to go away. He also knew that he was going to start winning people that weren't Jews, that he came to die for the Gentiles and the Jews alike. And he wanted to give a bottom line, so to speak, of what it means to be his follower. What does it mean to be his disciple? And so here we go. On the night before he was crucified, I mean, if if there's ever a time to share the most important part before you're going to die, this is the important stuff, right? I mean, he didn't pull all of his guys. are gonna say, "Hey, let's have a final meal together." Hey, how about those Mariners? Hey, did is the stock market up and down right now? Hey, who's the who's the governor in this territory right now? He doesn't ask any of those questions. He's not interested in any of that. He wants to make sure they've got the main thing on their mind. Look what he says. On the night before he's crucified, he tells them, he sits them down, he says, I've got a new commandment for you. He realizes they've been taught the commandments, and and Jesus has been reinforcing this, but he says, I've got a new one that I'm going to give to you. And they lean in, like, ooh, this is going to be good. We're getting some new teaching. Love one another. That's the best you've got? I mean, come on. <laughs> that's the new That's the new commandment. Love one another. It's it's kind of simple. How about you love one another like I've loved you? Oh. <laughs> well that cranks it up a notch, doesn't it? He's heard all their murmuring, he's heard all their complaining, he's heard all their stupid questions. He's brought this ragtag band of, of guys together that don't know anything, and he's loved them. He's traveled with them. He's slept around them. They've eaten together. They've done miracles together. They've they've talked, they've laughed, and they've fished, and they've been through the heat together. They've they've gone through cities together. And and of all the most important things, you know what he steps up and he says, I'm about ready to leave, and I want to make sure you guys have the most important piece to this. Love one another like I loved you. See the rest of that verse? You have to love one another this way. This is how the world will know you're my disciples. Isn't that interesting? Not how you dress, not what you've known, not the miracles you've done, not the place that you live, not your race, not your social status, not your education. You want to know how the world will know that you're my disciples, guys? They see how you love the outsiders look in and say, I'm not sure I want to follow that Christ guy, but those guys know how to love. Look how they treat children. Look how they treat women. Look how they treat the poor. Look how they step up for each other. Look how they pray for each other. I'm not sure that, that I could follow that Jesus guy, but I definitely want those people working for me. I would definitely want one of those guys marrying my daughter. I would definitely want my kids watched by those kind of people. I would definitely want that kind of friend. I would want that type of a coworker. I'd want that type of person in my life. I, I may not believe everything they believe, but I'd sure like to be around that person because I know how well they love. Because he knew that would get their attention. Because guess what? He knew what what religion brought. Religion brought conflict. Religion brought war. Religion brought debates. Religion brought all of this heavy stuff, and yet he says, I'm going to clear away all that stuff because the baseline is this. We're going to love each other. And, And believe me, you say, well, that's so simple. It's the hardest thing we'll ever learn how to do. It's easy to fear. It's easy to hate. It's easy to judge. It's easy to point fingers. It's easy to see the difference. In somebody else compared to you, you know what's hard? It's to look past all that and say, I'm going to love them anyway. And if the church had got a hold of this, because I believe the first century church got it, then pretty soon things changed, and, and pretty soon instead of us leveraging love, we leveraged power. You better, and it became these demands, like you're going to do this or else. And you think of the damage that was done to anybody that was any different, than whoever was in the local church. Think of the damage done to single moms or unwed mothers at times in the church. Does it mean that we say, woo, good job, way to be a fornicator? No. But do we make them feel like dirt? Do we make them feel like they're the worst purple on the planet? No, we do not. The LGBT community. Is it what God's incredible dynamic plan is? No but are these people that we should be judging and hating and separating from? These are people that need to know the love of Jesus Christ. And that's what's hard in the world today is it's very difficult for them to understand that we can love them and not agree with them. We can love them just because they're God's creation. Doesn't mean we agree with how they live, just like they wouldn't agree with how we live. But you know what? We have a mandate from God to love God like he loved, he stepped into a world full of sinners that were completely different from him. And guess what he did? I mean, if anybody had the right to walk on the earth and say sinner, judgment, sinner, 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 sin, and even speak out your sin, how would we like that? And yet, what did he do? Hey, come follow me. Hey, you're forgiven. Hey, you're healed. Hey. I'll touch you. I know nobody else wants I'll touch you. That sounds so attractive. No wonder people thronged Jesus. No wonder people wanted to sit and eat with him. They saw something in him, and it wasn't religion, and it wasn't a running list of what scriptures he knew. It was love. He loved the woman caught in adultery. He loved the leper. He loved the woman at the well, and yet he never once said, hey, you know, I'm just doing this for show because on the outside, I really hate you, but I'm compelled to do this. He truly did love. And that's that hard delineator right there, is can we love the people that are very different from us? Did you know that we're mandated to do that? So I wanted to define their relationships so that the outsiders would say, Look how they love. Look how they love. He wanted to build a community of believers that would continue to grow after he left. And and I'll tell you this, you can talk about all the newfangled this, that, and the other and how the world has changed so much. I believe that the one reason that the church is failing in the world is we've forgotten the love principle. I believe if we get back to the love principle, we'll be irresistible to the world. And I'm not saying we love their sin and we love their lifestyle or any of that. You know exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying we love them as people and we love them into the kingdom. We love them enough to befriend them and show them a better way to live. We love them enough to share God's love and truth with them. We love them enough to actually have community with them whether they're fully engaged with us or not because the opposite is costing us and I'm telling you whenever we don't lead with love we're taking steps away. And we have been called to change the world. We have not been called to judge the world. That's his job. Our job is to engage them and to love them. And if we can't stomach that, we need to decide, hmm, can I do this or can I not? Because all that other stuff, I really don't care how much scripture you know if you can't love. I really don't care how much you attend if you can't love because attendance isn't going to win the world. You knowing Scripture isn't going to win the world. You know what wins the world? You loving. I think we do a good job it, this church, and so don't feel guilty this morning, but I've got to tell you this. It, it does have to start here <laughs> with people of life faith, but it also has to transcend past those doors that the people that you meet that are very different, the people, and I want to make this so graphic this morning without, there's no bad words, I'm past that. The people that disgust you that are worthy of your love. And when we can get there, when you can see a person laying in their own vomit on the street, half clothed, And instead of going, oh my gosh, I wish they'd do something to these people. When you look at that person and say, that's somebody's son. That's somebody who's got nobody. That's why they're there. Then something will begin to change. It's too easy to start a GoFundMe. It's too easy to run a sip kitchen. It's too easy to contribute. It's too easy to lay a crisp $1 bill next to him in his vomit. To love. And only where you're called. Again, we can't save everybody. We can't fix everything. But as God brings you in contrast with people, the problem is we see the difference and we back up instead of stepping in. And Jesus saw the difference and always stepped in. Everybody saw a leper. You better get away. You might catch what he has. Jesus says, come here. Touched him. Didn't just hang near him. Touched. Him. And it's not easy. But it is the brand He's called us to. And if that's what it means to be branded a Christian, then I've signed up and hopefully so have you. Not just so I can go to heaven, but so that people see the difference and see God glorified by how we love.